Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be with you this morning and to worship with you together. As we turn our minds towards the Christmas season, we probably all do things differently, and that's okay. However, why do we do what we do? And I want to look at a little bit at lessons from the wise men. And, of course, our mind goes to gift giving. You know, sometimes we want to get someone something, and the big question is, what should we get them? What, the, what do they want? What do they need? The thoughts for this message came from an article that Howard Bean had written some time ago on lessons from the wise men. I want to expound on that a little bit. Somebody said recently that Santa Claus was in the Bible. Well, their thought was a little bit skewed because they referred to the wise men as being Santa Claus. I want to look at for a text of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11 is the verse in focus. I want to read here Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, and thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come unto the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. And fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now I want to go back to the book of Isaiah. And this was prophesied that this would happen. And I was impressed again with the detail which this was prophesied many years before. Isaiah chapter 60, and I want to read here verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 60, starting at verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee, thy sons shall come from, from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Neboeth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance of mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Now, as we think of the wise men coming, my mind goes to the song, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Now, a number of things I want to look at here this morning. The first one is that the wise men came. And I want to look at different aspects of how we worship as we come. The wise men worshiped with their feet. Now, I don't know if you ever thought of worshiping with your feet, but they came. They used their feet to come. They came in faith, not knowing their destination. They were following the star. Did you ever try to find your destination by following a star? You say, well, no, we have more sophisticated means of, trans of, of finding our way. We have a GPS. Well, the wise men didn't lose their signal. You know, sometimes we rely on our sophisticated equipment and once in a while, we lose our signal. They came from a distance. 
of approximately a thousand miles, more than likely on camels. Think about that. A thousand miles. My mind went to the song, first verse of the song, From lands of the east we have traveled afar, led on by the gleam of a beautiful star. Through desert or mountain, rough, rugged, and bleak, we journey rejoicing, Messiah we seek. They came. They came because they were seeking a king. They recognized his worth. They viewed him as God who was worthy of worship. And so as we look at the wise men coming, what is the lesson for us? We need to come to Jesus. We often hear that phrase, we need to come to Jesus. And they physically came. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The most important thing we can do on earth is come to Jesus. We must come to him in repentance. Go to Matthew chapter 4. This was when Jesus began his ministry after he was tempted. Verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the kingdom of heaven is near. And how much nearer is it today than it was back then? Those were the same words that John the Baptist preached in preparing the way for Jesus to repent. The wise men came from a distance. We also came from a distance. Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12, says this. It says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's where we were before we came to Christ. We came from afar. We also are seeking a king. 
Go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16 is the verse that's in focus here, but I want to start here at verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our, of our infirmity, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And some translations, that word boldly is confidently. We have that confidence. We can come to Jesus. I believe the wise men had that confidence. They were coming to worship a king. The second point is the wise men saw their eyes. They used their eyes. They saw. If you go back to Matthew chapter 2. Verse 11. When they were come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They saw him. You know, somebody can tell you something about something, but when you see it with your own eyes, it means more. They didn't have to look twice to make sure that they were at the right place. They saw. They didn't need a binoculars. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. He wasn't at the babysitter. He wasn't at the daycare. He was with his mother. And so we have here... The question is, where was Joseph? Well, the thought is that more than likely he was working. By the time the wise men came, Jesus was not in the manger. As it says, when they were come into the house... So what is the lesson for us? When we look at Jesus, who do we see? He didn't stay in the manger. He didn't stay in the house. Who do we see? Go to John chapter 12.
John chapter 12, I'll start reading here at verse 19. I wasn't sure how much of this to read, but in verse 19 it says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there, ye, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this, for this cause... Came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus came to bring people to him. Jesus came so that we can have salvation. What are we seeing? A babe in a manger? Or a king. The verse yet from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto, thy, unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus. We see Jesus who suffered for us. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The beginning and the finisher the perfecter of our faith. It 
So the question comes, should we celebrate Christmas? It's the beginning of our faith. It's the beginning of our salvation. The wise men fell down and worshiped. This speaks of their knees. They bowed down. They worshiped. Speaks of humility. And also the recognition that this king was far superior to them. Far superior to the wise men. Far superior to the intellectuals. They did this willingly and voluntarily. They were not told they needed to worship. <laughs> but they did this willingly. And so the lesson for us is that of Philippians 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. Humility and submission. And Jesus gave us this example. Number four, the wise men worshipped him. Speaks of their mouth. It says they saw Jesus and his mother and they worshipped him. The angels and the shepherds also worshipped him. Turn to Luke 2. Luke 2 and verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Then jump down to verse 20. It says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Do we praise God for his gift? Do we worship him? We owe him our worship. And as we worship Jesus, we don't see him as a babe in a manger. We never saw that. We worship him in faith, as our king. After Jesus was carried into heaven, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. We have that in Luke 24, verses 52 and 53. Number five, they opened their treasures. 
They opened their treasures. The gifts that they had brought. Now they presented them. Now, if you were going to get a gift, which would you rather do? Whether the giver or the receiver. Would you rather... Oh, there's FedEx. There must be something out there. Or bring the gift to the person. Which would you rather do? And it's okay to order from Amazon and send it to UPS by UPS or FedEx. That's probably okay, especially the circumstances, especially from a distance and so on. Their gifts were costly. It cost them something. You know where they say it's not the size of the gift that counts, it's the thought. Well, these gifts cost something. Their gifts were the appropriate gift. Their gifts were practical gifts. You know, that's always a big debate among some people. You know, do you get them a practical gift or do you get them something that is maybe a little more extra special that maybe it's something you put up on the shelf or on the wall or something like that. They first presented themselves. They came. They presented themselves. Our gifts should not just be for others, as Tozer wrote. Christ came to bring peace, and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for six weeks of the year, he came to help the poor, and we heap gifts upon those who do not need them. So what gifts are we giving? It's an article from the Daily News Record. This was written by Rita Dunaway, December 14 of 2019. The title of it was Giving Eternal Gifts. It was another busy day amidst the season of peace and joy. There were gifts to buy, cards to order, school programs to attend, and guests to host. My home looked as if a few of its inhabitants had been vaporized at the climax of some massive reorganization project, leaving their clothing and material and goods in random, messy piles on the floor. All of a sudden, I understood what my father meant. Every year, when I asked what he wanted for Christmas, he had responded instantly with the same three words in the same even matter-of-fact tone of voice peace and quiet. I never took him seriously. 
And he always smiled after he said it. It wasn't that he saw Christmas as a hassle. It was just that the things he truly wanted in life were not the things that could be boxed, wrapped, and tied with a bow. What if this year we turned our focus on the giving of gifts with eternal value? I don't mean we need to skip the, the tangible gifts altogether, but how about being really purposeful in giving those gifts of us, giving those around us the gifts of the kind of gifts that impact the human heart the most. Here are some ideas. The gift of time. For some of us, spending time with our close family and friends is already our favorite thing about the holidays. But what about reaching out to those of the people who don't come to mind first when we think about how we like to spend our Saturday evening? I'm preaching this to myself here as much as anyone else. There are so many things that I need and want to do on any given day. I tend to see unexpected visits or phone calls as interruptions. My perspective changed some years ago because of something C.S. Lewis wrote. He pointed out the folly of our belief that we start each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. The truth is, man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. In light of that reality, let's learn to be generous in blessing others with our time. The gift of a kind word. Someone who desperately needs to hear it. We live in a world of complaining, criticism, and competition. Kind words, when they are personal, genuine and timely spoken, are a priceless treasure. I'll never forget the time when, as an exhausted mother of toddlers, I received a simple note in the mail from an acquaintance. It was a word of encouragement, reminding me that the seemingly thankless work I was doing every day as a mom was work with the greatest possible significance. Those words were water to a parched soul, and in many harried moments since then, they have been a source of strength and comfort. Oh, to be the giver of such a gift. Number three, the gift of truth. It is always easiest to tell someone what they want to hear. But it isn't always loving or kind. Sometimes what our loved ones need most is for us to be, on, be the one to speak a hard truth to them in gentleness and grace. Number four, the gift of forgiveness. We all need, we all have been hurt, slighted, and offended. Sometimes in big ways by people we love. Other times we take great offense and minor offenses at the driver who cut us off in traffic or the lady who jumped in front of us in the checkout line. To truly forgive a person who has wronged us is to give a gift to both the other person and to oneself. It is to recognize that none of us is a finished product yet, that we all have bad days, and that we all need room to grow. Number five, tough love. 
It's easy to love the people in our lives who are pleasant and kind to us, but many of us interact on a regular basis with people who fall into that category. To paraphrase what Jesus Christ once said, anyone can reciprocate love. And if you want to do something truly amazing, love someone who isn't loving toward you. At its best, the giving of gifts at Christmas points us to the ultimate gift God gave to the human race, his only son, sent from glory into squalor to rescue us. The gift we give each other, whether tangible or not, can never compare. But I think we come closest when we focus on gifts that will never fade, wrinkle, or rust. So what gift are you giving this year? And so, as we think of gifts, think of Romans 12.1. We need to present our bodies, a living sacrifice. Other things we can give is our treasures, our commitment, our talents, our allegiance, our service, our devotion, and our love. And as the wise men came, they presented to him gifts. They used their hands. They gave it. The gifts they gave were gold in recognition of his kingship. Frankincense. Symbolic of prayer, recognizing his divine nature. And myrrh, given in recognition of his purpose for coming to give himself a ransom for all. Were these practical gifts? They sure were. And so what do we need to give? We need to give him our gold, our frankincense, and our myrrh. Gold speaks of possessions. Frankincense speaks of prayer and worship. Do we come and worship? Do we come and encourage others? And myrrh, death to self. And as they gave these gifts, it says they rejoiced and departed another way. After we come to Christ, 
our lives will never be the same. We will depart another way. And so they worshiped with their feet, their eyes, their tongue, their hands, and their wallet. In closing, I want to read a poem yet. It's called The Joyful Holy Night. The night was so silent, the earth was so still, as shepherds were watching their flocks on the hill. The stars o'er Judea shone bright in the sky, when lo, a lone angel from heaven on high came telling so gladly of our Savior's birth, when infinite tenderness touched the sad earth. So sudden a heavenly host did appear, singing so sweetly, so rich and so clear. The glory of God everywhere shone around, and peace and goodwill on the earth did resound. When God's richest gift to all mankind was given, the best and the dearest that he had in heaven. The wise men came, at, came seeking the infant from far, they sought him and found him and followed his star. The star that shone in where the holy child lay, his crib was a manger, his pillow was hay. There he peacefully slept, far Bethlehem's inn, on the night of his coming, had no room for him. I love him, adore him, our Savior and King, and joyfully raise your glad voice to sing. Your praises to heaven's great gift of this day. Make room in your hearts and there answer him nay. Oh, joyfully claim him. He came as our own. He loves us. He calls us. Come home. Oh, come home.